Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Men Talk podcast, where men talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is Stephen Miller. Stephen, feel free to introduce yourself, tell us a little about your journey, your story, where you're from, and we'll go from there. The floor is yours. All right. So I'm Stephen Miller. Um, I am in Wisconsin, the United States, and my wife and I had done IVF. We did. We waited seven years um, before we were able to get lucky with a transfer with IVF. Um, we have twin boys now. Um and right now I'm actually going to school for my master's in social work. So in effort to then become um, a therapist that specializes in reproductive mental health. Um, so lately I've been doing a lot of um, advocacy about infertility and mental health within social work and psychology and counseling and the helping professions. Because um, I've really noticed, especially being in grad school right now, we don't talk about it. Um, so my kind of philosophy is if we're not talking about it, then how are the future clinicians supposed to be aware or even know how to talk about infertility and loss and all of that when somebody comes to them for support? So so I add my my own journey in there as well. Um the kind of and like I said, like my wife and I seven years, we we, yeah, seven years we tried. Uh, we went through three different clinics. Um, so I guess I can just start in the beginning. Um, when when I was diagnosed with male fertility, it was around 2014. I didn't realize infertility was a thing for for males. I like I never grew up knowing like about infertility, IVF, IUI, any of that stuff. I mean, it was kind of all brand new to me, and it was a kind of a shocker. But I remember thinking right before that, before getting tested, that I remember thinking in my head, like, I just pray it's not me. Because I think the biggest thing was, is like, I knew that if it was me, that I would feel this tremendous guilt of that I was preventing something that my wife really desperately wanted to be a mother. You know, that was the one thing that prevented her from that happening. Um, and unfortunately it was like right after an HSG that she did to get herself checked out, um, that we found out that it was a low count. And I think it was like a low motility as well. Um, it was a difficult conversation because we're trying to figure out like how, like, how did this, you know, you try to find those answers, right? I think men try to find the answers, right. And they're like, okay, what, what's the cause of this? What is, you know, like, how can we fix this? Right. I think that's even a bigger one. It's like, how can we fix this? Right. Um, so there's a lot of conversations. I'm like, okay, you know, what sort of things I've done in the past? You know, you think about like, okay, what have I done in the past that could possibly this has happened and this could occur? Um, and really, I mean, there's nothing, you know, like there's nothing that I did personally, like I think like that affected it. So we tried IUI knowing that it literally was going to be a very small chance, um, did not work, which we knew. And then we ended up going to a fertility clinic in Madison, Wisconsin, which is about an hour from where we live. And during that, like we did all the testing and stuff again, like it did more thorough testing. And the doctor 
was like, well, we wanted to do this surgery. You know, like they, they ended up finding a cyst on the ejaculatory duct and it was a small one, but they weren't sure whether or not it was actually causing any issues. But anyways, he recommended the, the surgery, right? And there were some pretty significant side effects from that, you know, like from the possible side effects from that, that surgery. Um, and it wasn't a guarantee that it was going to fix the issue. So at that time, it was $5,000. And I don't know about you as a social worker and my wife being a teacher, we don't have five grand laying around. So we literally, after that, like we ended up like getting a second opinion. And we went to a doctor, a urologist, and that's necessarily was related to infertility, but a urologist. And when I told him about the surgery, you know, that this, this you know, doctor had recommended, it was, he actually ended up looking at um, Wikipedia, like not like a medical journal or anything like that. Like it was literally like Wikipedia. I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, is this guy for real? Like, I mean, you, you're not looking it up in a medical journal or anything. Like it was literally Wikipedia. And the guy's like, I, I have no idea what this is. I don't know what I'm talking, you know, like this is not my specialty, but he's like, I can refer you to somebody that knows, you know, like a lot about this. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, at least that's a step. Right. So we ended up going to another clinic. So this time is in Milwaukee and there's a doctor there, liked him a lot. He was very creative and stuff. So he was like, well, let's see, right? Like let's aspirate the cyst. And I kid you not, the needle probably was at least a foot long. Like it was crazy. Like I looked at it once and I'm like, nope, I can't look at that again. And literally like he said, well, let's aspirate the cyst and we'll, you know, remove it. And then we'll check two weeks later to see if it made any improvements. And it made a little bit of an improvement, but he said not enough to warrant like a like surgery that has some possible risk to it. So on the, in that end, I'm like, okay, great. I just, I just saved $5,000. But on the flip side, I'm also like, second, I'm like, okay, this was a possibility that this could fix me, you know? And it was something like that. We were like kind of back to square one at that point. Like, okay, now what do we do? Like, we're still, we're contemplating IVF. Still, we're thinking about like how we're going to pay for it, you know. Like, and I don't know what it's like in Israel, but in the United States, you know, like there's some states that have coverage, that have mandated coverage, and some that don't. And Wisconsin's not one of them, so like we're paying everything out of pocket, and on average, it's probably close to like forty six thousand dollars, you know, to pay for IVF. You know, at least three rounds and stuff, which is average. Um. So then we're kind of back to square one. And then the doctor that we initially had at the first clinic was not there anymore. So we saw a different doctor going back there. And the doctor was like giving us a 15% chance of success. One five. And I just looked over and my, my wife's in tears, you know, like, and it's just like devastated, you know, like that. This is the prognosis and stuff. But in my mind, I'm like, nope, like this is not going to work for me. Like we'll find somewhere else. You know, like I just I wasn't accepting of that fifteen percent chance and stuff. And like they're talking about like donor eggs and donor sperm, which is not a problem with that. But like I just like, I wanted to try some other avenues first before we went that route. So after that, we kind of just reconvened and stuff. And then my wife and I, like one of my wife's good friends, um, which are wrong because she's with her right now, um, had mentioned this clinic in, outside of St. Louis, and. We're just like, okay, for, for us, however, St. Louis was like five hours away. And 
it was for us, it was doable. Like for some people that would be like, that would be a deal breaker. But for us, it was something that we could do. And I just remember like we had our consult like with the doctor and the doctor was still positive. And he's like, and we told him about like all the issues that we had. Like we ended up finding out like my wife had diminished ovarian reserve. So it was both of us had issues, but it was a, such a positive thing. Like, and they get the doctor recalls at seven o'clock at night, you know, like it's just, it was, they were warm and inviting, you know, I mean, it was just something that with that positivity, that reassurance, like, no, we can, we can try to do this. It was just meant a lot to us. So then we ended up going with them. So, so after that, like we did a lot of retrievals, um, did one transfer that didn't work. And then we did another transfer in March of like 2018 that ended up being successful. Um, yeah. So I think, I don't know if you're going to have a question or not, but. Quite a journey. Yeah. So I want to take a step back for a second. Um, and I say this a lot. First off, your story is different than others because you're taking action. It's not just like you're going through the IVF process, failed retrieval, you know, failed, failed transfer, doing it again, clinic after clinic after clinic. You're like, okay, wait a second. I need to actually do something about it. So you went back to school to get a social work degree. So I want to kind of dive into that, you know, a little bit, like what, what transpired, you know, as, as a guy in particular, there aren't many male therapists out there specifically dealing with this issue and male therapists in general, what transpired that sort of switch from, okay, now I'm a spouse who's going through this whole thing. I, I got the diagnosis of male infertility, which I'd never even heard of in the first place. You know, never in a million years would you think that. So now all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to social work to help other guys going through it. Like how did, how did that all come about? And then we'll dive, I guess, back into the aspect of your retrievals and the clinics and the fat, like yeah. how you, how you dealt with that. Yeah. And I think like, it took me a couple of years to kind of like reflect backwards and like after like my boy, like my boys are born, like, and you get into like a funny spot where you can like reflect back. And I remember like when I was reflecting back on like that experience, there was no mental health. Like there was, there was no mental health. Like it, it was not even just for men, but just mental health in general. Um, like there was not somebody in St. Louis and obviously like that was like a different state and stuff, but like the ones that we had, you know, like that had access to in Wisconsin, it was either Madison or Milwaukee. And for us, that's both an hour drive. So like you're working full time. Right. And then all of a sudden you're taking an hour drive there to do an hour appointment and drive hour back, you know, like it's this, our time was precious. And I think time is precious in general, but especially then like especially when you're working and trying to take off time and, our time was precious. And I was, I remember being in my, like my first like semester of grad school. And they said, oftentimes people come in to the program having an idea of what they want to do. And sometimes that changes. And it got me thinking, I'm like, okay, cause I initially wanted to be like a supervisor or like in a county, you know, like I work in a county job right now and I wanted to kind of move up the ladder and it just kind of made me question of like, okay, what can, you know, and then, so on top of that, like I was like reading some research on how like giving back, like helps you kind of like make sense of like what your, your experience was, you know, it kind of helps you feel like, okay, I'm doing something with this. And I started thinking about like, well, what can I do 
with this experience? And like, where can I make the biggest impact? And I literally just wrote down and I actually have like right in front of me, I look up there like as a piece of paper that I just wrote out what my plans were, like what I wanted to do. And some of it has changed, you know, over like the last couple of years, you know, as I get more into it. But I just started thinking, like, I, I want to do this. Like, I want to be able to help other men, you know, kind of navigate that. Because I know, like, as a man and myself, like, especially when you're going to a therapist and it's a woman and you're talking about infertility, like, it's a whole different thing. It's, it's an uncomfortable, at least for me, like, it would be uncomfortable. You know, like, how do you so feel about like, that when you were there? So what do you mean? Like you just brought up a whole topic saying, you know, going, sitting in front of a female therapist, talking about male infertility or fertility in general is uncomfortable. So how did you deal? Like, did you just get comfortable with, I know sometimes it can be awkward and like the spouses bring each other into it. How did you deal with that? Because I hear that a ton that guys don't like going to female therapists or therapy in general, because there's that stigma or they just, it's strange. Yeah. And I think like for me, like I ended up going to like a male therapist when I like was struggling mentally and it, he had some knowledge of it, you know what I mean? Cause he had like a nephew that gone through it. So, I mean, he had a little bit of knowledge, but like what I say, he's an expert in it. No. I mean, there's so many other like nuances and stuff that, that I think the everyday person doesn't get. Um, but now, like lately, I mean, like I've had more and more conversations, you know, especially with people at work, you know, like when I bring up conversations, it's just like, to me, like there's no shame in it. It's, it's a medical condition. It happens to, at least in the United States, 7.4 million people. It's prevalent, you know, like it's so why are we not talking about this? So like what I, what I find out too is that we all know somebody that's been impacted by infertility. But it's almost like we have like these little silos, right? We have these little sections, like this person's talking, that person's talking. But in reality, if you're reducing stigma, like we're re- like the way to reduce stigma is by normalizing the experience. And we do that through conversation and not like these little sidebar conversations. You know, we have to bring it to the forefront of like, let's talk about it, you know, because I got even in just my work, like my full time work, you know, people, there's a person that was a surrogate. There was somebody that struggled with, with male factor and fertility. I literally just talked to a guy the other day that he had a Kleinsfelters, right? And he's like, he, they use donor, you know, sperm over for their children, you know, like, and that's just like within one section area. Like we all know somebody, you know, that has that and stuff. So I think the more and more, like I talk about it, you know, I think the more you get comfortable with the knowledge piece of it, you know, like, it's like, this is my experience. It's not everybody's experience, but this is where I'm coming from, you know? And I just know like with other men, like they felt more comfortable talking about it with other men too. Cause I know when I was going through it as well, I had a guy through my church that they did IVF. So I was able to somewhat relate, you know, like and bounce off ideas, you know, like, and not necessarily talk about like the mental piece of it. Like we did somewhat, but it was just nice to know that there's somebody else that has gone through it and can understand like what you're going through. And then like, I had a really good friend, you know, that would communicate by phone and stuff. And I know like with him, like him and his, well, his now ex-wife, um, they had five miscarriages and stuff, but him and I would talk, you know, back and forth and stuff. I think that kind of helped me like during that time was being able to have that somebody that had that somewhat shared experience, you know, 
But I think there is a dynamic that, like I said, it's kind of a sensitive, it's a pretty heavy and sensitive subject. And I think more men would be more apt to talk about it. Like if they had another man to talk about it with, especially one that's been through it. That's why men's helpline exists. Yeah. With the idea is so, we need to create community within community and men need to talk to men in, in, in natural settings and not just through yeah. therapy. And it's okay to talk about it. It really is. It's totally yeah. normal. Yep, absolutely. And we got to change the stigma. I mean, I think obviously as more people talk about it, the stigma will change eventually. More athletes are coming out about it, more musicians. I mean, it's the stigma is there, but it's just yeah. education. And, and the real question I have is, I don't understand why in the education system or you're right, 7.2 million people going through infertility in the United States of America. It's a heck of a lot of people, you know? So it's just like COVID. I mean, how many deaths are there from COVID? People are talking about COVID. So if you're talking about COVID, why can't you talk about infertility? Like it's not, it's not an embarrassment. You don't even be ashamed of. It doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't, you know, yes you can't really fix it so to speak it sucks to be in that club it really does but it also sucks to have COVID (laughs) yeah but yeah absolutely and I think there's a double layer to it it's like you have the stigma of infertility and then you have on top of it like if you're struggling like mentally like psychologically distressed and stuff because of it that's another stigma right of mental health and I think mental health is improving you know like stigma but it's still that double layered of stigma that you kind of have to like go through that you know like and try to build on like okay so you know like you said like as a man like it's okay to have you know like it sucks having infertility but it's nothing to be embarrassed about but then you have to go a step further and saying like if you're struggling mentally like it's okay like that's a normal experience because that was something that I struggled with like when I was like trying because at that moment like when I were doing fertility treatments I was trying to figure out like, what's a normal experience? Like, what am I, like, what's normal for me to feel during this time? You know, like <laughs> feeling inadequate feeling like I wanted to just like divorce my wife and give her somebody that can get her pregnant. You know, like, and, uh, that, and, and that's totally a normal feeling that guys have. Yeah. Right. And I have good struggle. enough. I can't get her pregnant. She deserves better. Right. That's just something. Yeah. Like- yeah. I agree. So, but like, I struggled to like find anything that said that. And that's where I was like, and so what really kind of inspired me to like advocate for this, like within social work and like counseling psychology was I had taken a class, it was human behavior environment. And every textbook that I like, I get for class, like I'm always, the first thing I do is I look at the index and to see if infertility is in there just out of curiosity, you know, like to see. And I looked at the textbook and it's, there was like, there was a whole case study, like on it, like a page thing, whatever. And then there was like maybe a page on infertility treatments and stuff. And I remember like being excited, like, okay, this is the week that we're actually going to be talking about this. Like I'm really, really excited. And we get through it and stuff. And my professor does not even touch the subject. And I just remember like thinking like, like I was honestly pretty upset, <laughs> you know, just like, why? Why, like, why is this not talked about? Like, this, you know, like, I have my own personal experience with this and stuff. I'm like, why is this not talked about? And that kind of started getting me thinking, you know, and I'm like, okay, is it just my class? Like, is this this professor? Like, do other people talk about it? 
So I started asking people at work that were social workers and had like psychology degrees and all that stuff. Right. And there's like, no, like we never talked about it. I was like, okay. So like I started digging deeper. Right. So like I went on Reddit and on the, the subgroup social work, I just put on a poll and I said like, how many of you have talked about infertility and mental health in your classes? Like in, like within your education, like either currently or in the past. And at that point, like, I think 233 people took the poll and 93% said no. And so I then another one, like, just through the National Association of Social Work, like, I just, I did my own independent, like, not affiliated with the university. I just, like, I'm just, like, I'm just curious. And that one showed about 72%, but still, that's still a lot of people that are talking about this. And I also feel like, there's also the idea of like, oh, like I work with children. I'm not going to have to worry about infertility. It's completely not true because they say adoptive parents are 10 times more likely to be like to have gone through fertility treatments or gone through infertility than compared to other people. And foster parents, you know, at least in the United States, like 39% of them said that their motivation was to be a foster parent was because of infertility. So it, it's multi-layered, and I think people are talking about it and people don't see it, like, and they're not looking at the depth of how infertility can impact people. On the subject of how infertility can can impact people, I'm, I haven't yet told you know my son how he was born or what the story is, but now that you're in the professional world of, of, of social work, or even just as a, as a parent, so to speak, how how would you break the news to your kids? Like, do you bring up, Hey, you were made in a Petri dish, you know, IVF, you know, <laughs> the shot baby. Like what, what is the right way? I don't know if there is necessarily the right way, but, but what is the best way to break the news to your kids that they're a product of an IVF or people say test tube baby. Like do you yeah. even tell your kids that they were made this way? Do you not tell them? Is that detrimental to them? Like what's, What's your opinion? So my opinion on that is like, if you keep it a secret, it's almost further stigmatizing the use of IVF. In my opinion. Yeah. Like, because if we're not openly talking about it, like, like my plan is to tell, you know, like, and I know like there's like children's stories about IVF, you know, like, and there's like different social stories and stuff. Um, And I, you know, everybody thinks differently. Like I said, this is just my opinion on it, but my thing is like my children, like I'm going to tell them like, like, look, you were born IVF. And ironically enough, I was at a conference in Chicago at the beginning of June at MRSI. And they had Elizabeth Carr, who was the first born, um, born IVF baby in the United States. She was there and she was talking about, and I don't know if it was in her book or maybe it was either in her book, like, or it was other thingy, but she remembers like going through sex ed, you know, like, and they're telling me like, well, this is how, you know, this is how babies born, this is how it's created and stuff. And she kind of raised her hand. She's like, that's not the only way, <laughs> you know, like it's, and they're just, they were just shocked. They're just like, what do you mean? It's not the only way. She's like, well, I was born IVF, <laughs> you know, like it was no big deal. You know, like it was just like multiple people done it, you know, like thousands and thousands of kids have been born through IVF, you know, like, and like I said, I think if you keep it, silent and almost like we don't talk about keep it secretive. I think we're also adding on to that stigma that we, we shouldn't be talking about this. Is there a right age to tell your kids? 
I think, I mean, there, like I said, there's ways that you can do like age appropriate, right? I mean, so like for me, I think about like for my kids, my kids are three, they're going to be almost well before November. My initial feeling is just like, okay, I'm going to teach, like, I'm going to read them a story, right? And this, you introduce it, like, okay, this is a story, this is what I, you know, like, and I think it depends on where their level of being able to attain it. But I think the earlier, like, tell them that this is a part of their story, this is part of their journey, like, and this part of their life the more they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I just was born IVF, not a big deal. And I think most people and most kids, like, I don't think it's going to be like that. It's not, they're going to be like, oh, it's a neat fact. You know, like, it's not going to be anything that's like, oh, they're going to get teeth because they done IVF, you know, like, or born through there. But I don't That's just my thought is like, you know, you read them kind of those stories, right, at an early age and stuff, and then you kind of start talking more and more about it. And then at some age, they might ask questions about it. And I'm sure at some point, like, I'm sure my points, like, when my boys are older, they're going to be like, how much did it cost? You know, like, and having to say, like, this is how much it costs. Like, this is who, like, this is who helped us, you know, like, and, you know, I so said we wouldn't change it. You know, like, we wouldn't have you if we didn't have, you know, if we didn't do IVF. It's insane how much it costs. I mean, I'm very lucky to where I am in that in the country I live in Israel, it's actually free for the first two kids. Um, yeah. medications are you know subsidized there's a certain cap i mean i i don't think we spent more than 200 bucks for the whole thing yeah um, and i think we we ended up paying i want to say it was like thirty-seven thousand dollars or something like that like including meds but the biggest thing was like we we knew we couldn't afford it with our own with our own salaries like and there's some statistic out there that's said like families that make a hundred thousand dollars or less like can't afford IVF. It's insane. And it's crazy, right? But I'm, and, I'm hearing now that there's a program. Actually, it's a, it's a great resource to people. Um, there's a Facebook group out there. It's called. Hmm. Um, it's called. Prog. P R O G. Y N Y, okay. Yeah. Apparently, there's this insurance company out there that's called Progeny. Yeah, Progeny, I think is what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So there's a whole list of companies out there that are actually starting to to provide for IVF treatments, which is an amazing yeah. thing because that didn't exist before. I mean, it's it's no. a fundamental right to be able to have a child. Right. So, I completely agree. And I know Starbucks has for the longest time, you know, like Starbucks is one of the companies that, you know, like will cover IVF and a lot of people quit their jobs, like their full-time jobs, their careers to go work at Starbucks, you know, to get, you know, like, and it's, it's crazy, you know, like, and like the fortunate thing is, is like, like I was talking to my parents and stuff. I said, like, you know, like we're going to, like, if we're going to do this, we're going to need some help you know, and paying for this and stuff. And I, like, he ended up talking to my aunt and it's, it's crazy because like my, my grandparents on my dad's side um, had just passed away, you know, like, it, you know, not too long, you know, before we were, all this was going on. And I remember like my, my aunt said, you know, like I have money sitting in an account, like basically the money that she inherited from her parents, like my dad's parents, sitting in an account and stuff and she's like i can't think of a better way than to let you use it to pay for ivf and that was a hard that was one thing for us like for my wife and i like to figure out because she was one like no we're not using any family i don't like using family because like she just has a different experience than what i did 
And I just, we finally came to the agreement. Okay. Yeah. This is the only way we're going to be able to uh, afford this. Um, So it was definitely, I mean, a huge blessing for us to be able to have that. Cause like, there's so many people that take out like second mortgages on our house, you know, like take out like medical loans, which we looked at. I think the interest was like 18%. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, that's not even feasible. (laughs) Like we'd be paying for this a whole life, you know, like, so like, like I said, we had the, good fortune of having my aunt be able to help us pay for IVF and she's never requested money back for it, which is amazing. It's unbelievable. The cost it's really, it's, it's such a down. Yeah. I think there really needs to be a change in the law. I mean, that's one of the biggest things we can do is, is rally to our senators, to our congressmen, to our local yeah. politicians for multiple things. One that there should be funding for IVF and two that they need to change the education system to start talking about miscarriage, IVF, fertility, all of these issues that come up that people don't talk about. Because if you start the conversation when you're younger and in schools, then obviously there's going to be a change because those young people are going to learn about it and say, wait a second, this is not right. We have to do something about it and create a soup bag, whatever the case yeah. might be, to, to change it. Yeah. And I also think it's kind of twofold, just bringing the awareness of like infertility and miscarriage and like the prevalence of it. But it's also, I just think about people that are at least in graduate level classes, right? The likelihood that they're going to know somebody that's either have, or is going to have a miscarriage, like, or has infertility is much greater. So it's giving them that awareness and what that's like for people like mentally, like what are some of the normal things that they for them to go through. But it's also giving them like an idea, like if they're struggling with infertility, it's like they know what their options are. Not that it's going to take away the emotional side of it. I don't think it will, but it's just like, it's almost like, okay, I've heard about this. These are what some of the options are. This is what I have to do. You know, like I have, we have to try for a year, you know, like, and, and I don't know. I just think in, and my hopes is, is like, we can get more people, more people involved with like this side of mental health. Because at least in Wisconsin, like there's five people that specialize us in the entire state. Like that's it. And you have, I want to say it was 172,000 people in Wisconsin alone, like are impacted by infertility is one of the statistics out there. And I'm like five people for 172,000. No, not all of them are going to have like the stress with it, but. Man, I'm like, for, like I said, for me, like my kind of ideas, like it would be great to have at least one person locally that has knowledge about infertility and mental health. So then people have someone to go to and not have to travel an hour, you know, to go to an appointment, which now one of the silver lines of COVID is telehealth. I think that's going to open up a lot more doors for that opportunity, but there's still not a lot of people. There's only True. five guys in the United States that do this. And not only that, it's not like remote visits for IVF or PGD. You're not gonna, it's not like you're going to be able to do a transfer or retrieval in your living room. No. So you're still no. going to have to to commute to that clinic. And I mean, right. more hospitals, I think more physicians need to be trained in this area as technology evolves. I think every single hospital should be able to offer it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like there's some research out there that shows like when people are doing fertility treatments, that they tend to mask their mental health because they're afraid that if they think that I'm too, you know, like I'm, I'm too distressed or I'm unstable that they're going to stop my cycle. And then I don't want them to stop my cycle. 
So I'm going to mask it and fake like I'm doing perfectly fine. You know? And so I think that's the debate where it's like, because some people feel like they're, they, they should be embedded like in clinics, but then it's like, are they being fully hundred percent truthful about their mental health? If it's embedded compared to somebody that's outside, it's a neutral party. I think mental health should go along with infertility treatments. I think if you're going to a, to a clinic for infertility treatments or even after a miscarriage, I think it's imperative that the social worker there, the clinicians check in on the couple and follow up because yeah. never in my experience, I mean, I'm sure probably even by you, did I get asked once, how do I feel about this? How What's going through my brain, my mind? All the time was, this is about the patient, which is her. It's not about yeah. you, you know? But again, there's so much trauma there for guys going through there, sitting in that room. I mean, for crying out loud, we're not even allowed in, in, during a retrieval in, in the room. I mean, going through a procedure, you would think this is about having a child, even though it's, I get it, it has to be sterile. But you would think yeah. that that's something that they would come up with some type of creative solution, like a window to look in during the procedure so you could at least be there. We have to be outside the room. COVID people weren't even allowed into the hospital yeah. during the treatment. I mean, this is just, talk about mental health. And <laughs> I just add an extra I layer. And I just, I remember vividly, like, cause like our first egg retrieval was actually on my birthday <laughs> of all days. Like it was on my birthday. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, like, but I remember like she was put under like for egg retrievals and they're moving her out and she looked all drugged up. And I'm just like, and I remember thinking in my head, like, I feel awful because I felt like I was the one that was making her go through all these different treatments and stuff like that. Like, and they're really like, I, we had, as men, we have the easy part, you know, like, and like, we don't have the physical part, but we still have the emotional part as well. You know, but I just remember thinking, is it, is this worth it? But again, you know, like, some guys, some guys, even though they might think that they have the easy part, it's not easy for guys to prep yourself to do that. I mean, just to give a sample in a cup in a room on a strange yeah. couch. I mean, it's not, there's a lot of pressure there. Yeah, I'm okay, just going to do that now. Well, it's not so simple for a lot of guys. No. So, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety around it, you know, like, and like the pressure to perform, right? I mean, like, especially like you want good numbers you know like and even though there's nothing that you can do that's gonna miraculously gonna make your numbers higher you know like it's and i just remember like when we did like we did our last retrieval and then we were gonna fertilize all the eggs and stuff they did i don't know like to this day i don't know whether or not they told me or i just wasn't listening <laughs> you know like or didn't see it but they said they had to get two samples and I'm sitting there like the first sample is fine. But like the second sample, like I was trying my hardest to get that second sample and literally no, like November, like I ended up having surgery because I gave myself a hernia because I was just like, yeah, I ended up getting like having to get surgery to get that repaired and stuff. And it's like, but you think in that mind, like you're doing whatever it takes to get, you know, to achieve pregnancy. You know, and that's where my mind was. So you did whatever it took, you know, like if that meant driving five hours, I meant driving five hours, you know, like if that meant I had to change, do supplements or whatever, do whatever else and stuff, that meant you do it, you know, like, but I think, you know, like I ended up being on medication for a, a brief or a few months and stuff, but I ended up taking Clomid. And, you know, I said this kind of like in my, in my first episode, my, my podcast was, 
there was a point where I, I was emotionally paralyzed. All the stuff from my childhood came flooding into my brain. Like everything, I just remembered every single thing and it wasn't great stuff. And I remember being paralyzed like emotionally for like four hours, not knowing what to do. But in that moment, I didn't want to talk to my doctor and tell him like, hey, I had this experience. Because my thought was, is like, if this is helping, then I'll take it. And I think that was something that I wish I would have done differently. I wish I would have told our nurse that, hey, I took this medication. This is what happened. You know, I think we're always afraid that like we're like we're going to, you know, burn somebody or disappoint somebody by not doing what they're doing. But if it's affecting you mentally, like you got to be willing to say something. Sure. And before we wrap this up, because we've been talking a while, which is great. You know, good stuff coming out of this. What would be your take-home message or your top tips for guys going through infertility, miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss? Like what would you what would you tell them? What would you leave them with? I would tell them to like to connect with somebody that's been through it. Or find somebody to uh, to talk about it with. Cause I think for me, like that's made the world of a difference. You know, for me, it's being able to talk to a friend of mine, you know, like to say like, Hey, we're going through this. And then, you know, for them to have empathy, say like, Oh man, it sucks. You know, like that validation that this is not easy. You know, like this is not an easy thing. And the other thing that I would say is like, if you can find a way to give back to the community, that's going to be the biggest thing too, because I mean, there's even research that shows like, if you give back, and volunteer like whether that's you know through resolve united states or other programs or like men's helpline right i mean ways to give back i think it's helpful and it helps you feel like hey i had this experience i'm doing something with it and i think that's kind of like where like i'm at right now is like i have this experience i'm advocating for change in our education you know and eventually when i become a licensed social worker i'll be able to provide that mental health support for other men and other couples going through it all right. It is just, it gives, gave me a sense of purpose where before I'm like, I don't even know what to make of this. You know, like, what, what do I make of my infertility? How do I make sense of it? And I think if there's ways that you can give back, whether that's sharing your experience, whether that's, I don't posting stuff on Instagram, you know, like posting any way to promote the conversation. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that will help you improve your mental health because at least you feel like you're doing something about it. And as men, we want to do something, you know, like we want to, we, you know, we can't necessarily fix it, but we want to do something. And I think that's the hugest thing that you can do for your mental health. That's really good advice. Steven, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Guys, feel free to reach out to Steven or myself. We're happy to talk to you. We're here for you. If you're in Wisconsin, feel free to reach out to Steven. I'm sure he's happy to meet up with you. And uh, don't be strangers. Remember, you're not alone. It's not easy. But uh, we're here. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.